it's very difficult to get somebody's libido back and often that's about time but it is really about communication too and that mutual understanding. Welcome back to the Women's Wellness Podcast by the Women's Wellness Research Collaborative, a podcast where we talk about women's health needs throughout every stage of life, from young women through to midlife women, women's health after a cancer diagnosis, and women who are living with type 2 diabetes. On this podcast, you'll hear from some of the world's leading researchers in women's health. I'm Professor Deborah Anderson, the founder and director of the Women's Wellness Research Collaborative, and Dean of the Faculty of Health at the University of Technology, Sydney. I've spent my career dedicated to helping women be the best they can be. Today on the podcast, I'm joined by Dr. Janine Porter-Steele and Leona Young. Janine is the Clinical Nurse Manager of the Wesley Hospital Choices Cancer Support Centre in Brisbane, Queensland, Australia. And the centre offers support and information for women, men and their families affected by a diagnosis of cancer. Janine has also been actively involved with the Women's Wellness Research Program for many years, and she has co-written a number of journals, supported the development of the resources, and continues to deliver the programs to women living in Queensland, Australia. Leonie brings a different perspective to the conversation today. She was diagnosed with breast cancer when she was 32 years old, and since her diagnosis has been involved with many aspects of cancer, consumer advocacy, support, training, and mentoring. As an advocate of clinical trials research, she is involved as an experienced consumer member and investigator on numerous research initiatives. She's currently a member of the Australian and New Zealand Urogenital and Prostate Cancer Trials Group Consumer Advisory Panel. Leonie is Peer Support Coordinator at Choices as well as being a co-founder and co-facilitator with Janine of Every Cloud Consumer Advocacy Training Programs. We have been very fortunate to have Leonie working with us on the Women's Wellness After Cancer Program for many years also. And as someone affected by cancer, Leonie has helped ensure that the consumer's needs are always at the heart of the program every step of the way. Welcome Janine and Leonie. Thank you both so much for joining us on the Women's Wellness Podcast today. Thanks, Debbie. It's nice to be invited and nice to see you. Today in the podcast, we're going to be talking about menopause and cancer and sexuality, intimacy and cancer. Starting off with menopause, Janine, why do we need to talk about menopause after cancer? It's an important topic because a lot of cancers obviously affect midlife women, but they also affect younger women and menopausal symptoms happen to be one of the side effects of all the treatments. So if women aren't already going through menopause, once they have their cancer treatment, they're likely to get symptoms of menopause, which can be a bit disconcerting and can be uncomfortable. And interestingly, we don't as a society really spend much time talking about menopause. So often women have no idea of what's actually going to happen to them or what side effects or what symptoms they might experience. So I think from our perspective as health professionals, it's really important that we have those discussions with women about what to expect and more importantly, how to manage those symptoms that they might experience. It's a very interesting area and one that a lot of women don't talk about previously before menopause, but menopause is something women expect to face in midlife, as you said, how can cancer treatment sometimes affect younger women in relation to menopause? 
So if we're talking about particularly women with breast cancer, the treatments that we give them the chemotherapy will often stop their ovarian function. And so once you stop someone's ovarian function and the ovaries working properly and estrogen being produced, you're going to actually send them into menopause. So their periods will stop and they might start getting uncomfortable symptoms. So fairly typically, the symptoms that we would see would be things like hot flushes, Sometimes mood swings and irritability, skin that's a bit drier than it perhaps has been usually. So from the perspective of being midlife, we kind of all vaguely know we're going to go through menopause, but might not necessarily know what that means. But if you're a younger woman going through those treatments and you have chemotherapy and your ovarian functions turned off, and then because of some of the other hormonal treatments that we use, and and they're really anti-hormone treatments. So for those women whose cancer's fed by estrogen, we're going to take even more estrogen away from them and stop their ovaries working properly and give them, you know, probably more symptoms. So, you know, that for younger women is really difficult because if you're 25, 26, 30, 35, you won't want to be really going through menopause. And the big issue for younger women is this can sometimes affect their fertility. So women who haven't had children might be feeling really anxious about going through menopause and staying in menopause. These days, though, health professionals, oncologists are much better at actually recognising those things early and making sure that women get to see fertility specialists. And there are different medications that can help protect ovarian function while they're going through treatment. And hopefully when they come out the other side of that and things perhaps settle down and return to normal, then what you're hoping is that their fertility will return and that those symptoms will go but it's it's just while you're going through those symptoms it can be really tricky particularly as a younger person i'll just mention something there too what occurred to me when janine was talking was for younger women as well for instance what happened to me at the time is it happens really quickly for young women Mm. and it's not a gradual process that it is for, you know, in the natural process that an older woman might go through. So it happens so quickly and you've got to get your head around all of that in a very short space of time. And I think that's what a lot of younger women really struggle to deal with as well. Yeah, you know, I think you've both raised some excellent points and it's like the younger women, not only are they dealing with the diagnosis of breast cancer, which is rare for them in their age group as well, they're having this overwhelming knock into menopause very quickly. And then also around that comes the fertility issues as well. So what sort of symptoms can women expect during menopause? Could, you know, I think you said sort of the hot flashes and how, how, how are they experiencing it? And is it different for younger and uh, midlife and older women? I think Debbie, it's a really not one size fits all. So some people will get quite extreme symptoms quickly. And I think probably the biggest thing that I hear about for people is the hot flushes because hot flushes can happen in the day or in the night and often lead to um, sleeplessness. If you're being woken at night by hot flushes, that sleeplessness then has a, a an impact on your day-to-day life. So sort of one thing leads to another. So some people will have, have to go through a lot of that. Other people might say, well, you know, menopause hasn't actually affected me too much. But there, there's so many different aspects to it. So the hot flushes, the mood swings, the irritability, 
that can be disconcerting too because you, you're already struggling with going through the diagnosis and the different treatments. So then to have that thing of the, the mood issues can be really distressing. Other things that fit with sexuality, which we're going to talk about in a minute, and our menopausal symptoms too, are those issues around vaginal dryness, which cause discomfort and then can certainly affect relationships. Having said all of that, I think it's important that we know about those symptoms. And I think it's important that we talk about menopause and warn women that these are things that might occur. But there are lots of good resources out there. And for all those symptoms that I've just mentioned, there are ways to manage the symptoms and there are strategies that we can use to make things better. So I don't want to paint a completely black picture because I'm very aware that there are lots of things that we can do about this as well. And in fact, you're running a research program just at the moment for younger women's wellness after cancer, which is addresses those things. Did you want to just share a little bit of information about that? Yeah, so we're, do, we're doing a study that's part of our bigger picture that we've, we've worked with you on, Debbie, the Women's Wellness After Cancer. This one's for younger women, and it's a 12-week lifestyle intervention, which is really important because we, we do this when women are at sort of just completing the acute phase of their treatment. And what women actually say to us is that when they've finished treatment, they've been so immersed in treatment, so had so many people involved with them. And then all of a sudden, everybody seems to go away. And it's a bit of a thing of, okay, you're done now, you can go, you can get on with your life. We give them a prescription for everything else, but we don't give them a prescription for managing all those side effects and managing life in general, things like going back to work, all that sort of thing. So the Women's Wellness Program really is that. It's a prescription for the future. What we're trying to do is get them back on track. It's a great little program. They get a, a journal. They get contact with a cancer care nurse over five or six appointments over a period of 12 weeks. And we focus on all those things that are important, managing nutrition, managing exercise, looking at stress, anxiety, managing menopausal symptoms, sexual health symptoms, and sleeplessness, many other things as well. So we've actually run that study out in New Zealand and also the Hong Kong team have run the study there. And so we're just running one out here in Australia. We actually thought we'd get people just from Brisbane, but we've had women from Western Australia, South Australia, ACT, New South Wales, all wanting to take part, which demonstrates the significance of having something for people when treatment finishes. And you're currently still recruiting? Yeah, certainly. If anybody's interested, if they go to the website, the Women's Wellness After Cancer Program, um, the Emerald Study. So if they go to the Dawn website, they can register their interest and and certainly we'd be very happy to talk to them. Thanks, Janine. And that's the website is dawncomplete.org.au. Just uh, what can women and their families or loved ones do to help transition through menopause and better manage those symptoms? Making sure they talk to the health professional. So, for, so from the women's perspective, making sure she's talking to her breast care nurse or her cancer care nurse, depending on what cancer it is, making sure that she talks to oncologists, surgeons, 
because I, I think if that subject's raised, as I say, there are so many resources and there are solutions to all of these things. Those things will help. And if we can help the woman herself, then we're helping the family too. And I think from a family perspective, I think it's just learning as much as you can and understanding and listening and supporting. Yeah, they sound uh, really important. I know your PhD was in this topic, which is sexuality, intimacy and cancer. Janine, another area you've done a lot of work, not only in research, but of course in the clinical area. Now, I can imagine that intimacy is probably not high in the priority list when a woman is first diagnosed with cancer. But why is it important to talk about sexuality and intimacy in a cancer setting? Well, there's so many aspects to it, Debbie. And one of the most important things for people when they're going through treatment is really maintaining that intimate connection. And I think we, as health professionals, we find it difficult to bring the topic up, but patients also find it difficult to bring the topic up. And what happens when somebody is first diagnosed, we're going to talk about their thing would be, am I going to die? Are you going to save my life? What are, what are we going to do? So their focus really is on what treatment they're going to have, what's going to happen. And for the health professionals, quite rightly so, it's also on that focus of let's get you sorted out, let's get this treatment going. So often the, the window of opportunity gets missed sometimes to, to be able to talk about sexuality, but it's actually as important as talking about somebody losing their hair or whether they're going to be nauseated or whether they're going to have any other issues during their treatment. So there's, you know, health professionals will say, oh, it's a tricky topic and we don't have much privacy and there isn't time to talk about it and it's not just a conversation that should happen once it should happen many times throughout the treatment trajectory so it's really important to actually be able to bring the topic up and acknowledge it and there's lots of simple ways of doing it so for a health professional perspective when you're actually talking to somebody about what the side effects of their treatment might be and that might be hair loss and might be you know nausea and managing that can actually bring up the sexual health topics just by simply saying look some women have found this treatment can cause some other problems and might cause them a bit of vaginal dryness but what we can do about that is give you some solutions to it and we can talk about it sometimes libido gets affected and you might feel like you're too tired for intimacy but let's talk about that and give you some ways to manage it so I think if, you, if it's brought up in the context of treatment then it's an easy way to bring the topic up surgery is another way of bringing the topic up so for example if somebody is having a mastectomy reconstruction even a lumpectomy, it's a bit of a myth to think that it's only women who have mastectomies that's likely to have body image or intimacy problems. It, it can happen to women having lumpectomy because the breast changes, um, if they have radiation, that the look of their breasts might change a bit. So just actually as a nurse, making the time to say, look, do, does anybody explain to you what this might look like or how you might feel and how you might deal with how you are feeling? I think 
you know, those are easy ways to do it. And for patients themselves, I, I always think that's slightly harder because you've got to be a little bit upfront. And sometimes it's a case of saying to the health professional, look, I've heard that this treatment can not only affect me in terms of my hair loss or my mood, but somebody told me it might affect my intimate relationship. I'm a little bit worried about vaginal dryness. Can you tell me how I manage that? That usually opens the door for the health professional to go, oh, good, she wants to talk about it. I can do this. So it's just finding little ways of doing that. What I will say, if, if people are struggling to bring the topic up or they're worried about the topic and, and just aren't comfortable talking to someone, there are good resources there. So Cancer Australia have some good resources around sexuality and intimacy and menopause, as does the Breast Cancer Network of Australia and various other networks. So the information is out there. If anybody's stuck, that's something we could put on the Dawn website. That's such a great idea, Janine. And so I guess, you know, the burning question that some people might be thinking right at this moment is, so you're saying it could be libido, it could be vaginal dryness. What can be done about it? Libido is probably the first thing. So sometimes it's about making a day, any mm -hmm, day, mm -hmm. and sticking to it, having a date night, and making it work, taking things slowly. And of course, the biggest thing is communicating with your partner and letting your partner know how you feel. But I think what often happens is women sort of do this thing where they'll go, oh, I'll, I'll think about that tomorrow. I'm just too tired and I just don't I was just like thinking that. And so I think this is great advice, Janine. Oh, well, having that night, it sounds very cold and clinical, but having a night sticking to it and making that work uh -huh. each week, yeah. that can be a helpful way of doing it. It's very difficult to get somebody's libido back, and often that's about time, but it is really about communication too, and that mutual understanding. So that is a very short version of what we'd normally talk about. The other big thing, as I say, is the vaginal dryness. So there are lots of different vaginal moisturizers and lubricants and little tips and tricks that can actually reduce the vaginal dryness. For many women, having vaginal dryness doesn't just mean that that's dry, it means painful and it's sore and yeah. it can cause an irritable bladder and that can be what's reducing libido too so for me that's probably one of the biggest things I spend time on is making sure that somebody's comfortable that they do understand about the importance of having lubrication and stimulation and what the different lubes are that they can use and there are some really good products out there but sometimes it's not just about using one thing it's about multiple things together so using a lubricant using a vaginal moisturizer thinking about things like relaxation and again communication taking things slowly and trying different things so it's amazing that once you actually have that conversation and even though it all sounds very basic and simple it's not a space most people are in and really understand so that's why I think it's really important as a health professional that we actually talk to women about this before they get to the stage where 
a year's gone by and then their, you know, their relationship is wavering and they're worried about it. So I kind of feel if there's a message there for health professionals, it's please spend some time studying this stuff and looking at it so you can help your patients better. And for anybody listening out there who has gone through all of this, make sure you contact someone. We're happy for you to contact us at Choices. We don't mind where you've been treated or diagnosed. You can still call us and we will help and give you some advice around it. That's just wonderful, Janine, and so appreciate that advice from your expertise. It's just excellent. Leonie, could I talk to you for a moment? You were diagnosed with breast cancer when you were 32, which is young with two young children and juggling a busy life you are now the peer support coordinator at the wesley hospital choices cancer support center and your input from your lived experience with cancer has been integral to the development of the women's wellness programs we have been so lucky to have you on our women's wellness research collaborative for so many years and you've been so generous with your input can you share with us a little bit about your role at Choices and how you feel your input has contributed to the Women's Wellness After Cancer programs and the oh. Consumer Advisory Panel? Thanks, Debbie. Look, when Janine was just speaking then, it just occurred to me, you know, one of the things around libido is when you are diagnosed with anything, but let's say breast cancer, that's what it was for me, people lose their self-confidence and no matter how familiar you are, with your partner and you think it shouldn't be something that you worry about doing all those things that Janine suggested, they they do because you lose your self-confidence about being free and comfortable and communicating about those things. So having someone just remind you to go do those things is really, really important. So sometimes for me around what I do with at Choices is really just reinforcing what Janine has been saying to them. Or another angle, if it's somebody we might have spoken, I might have spoken to first before Janine has a chance. I can say, well, look, this happened to me when I was diagnosed. And usually I just go through a few of the little things and say, you know, menopause was one of the things that happened to me. These are the things that I found really difficult. So just giving you a heads up that this might be something you want to talk about. And it's something we talk about all the time. Don't feel shy about it. Because I think that's what happens. People think, oh, I can't talk about that. But so I guess for me, I'm trying to normalize it for them and say, look, it happens to a lot of people. Don't feel shy about bringing it up and talking about those things with somebody. So then I can, usually what I do is make, get them to make an appointment and see Janine, but they've, feel like they're not being silly about asking the question by the by the time if I speak to them first hopefully it's really about just I guess bringing some the balance into our programs around and Janine and I've always worked this way about the nurse and the, the lived experience and I've been very fortunate to have that opportunity to to be part of that system and it's just something we're so used to and my thing about the peer connection and connecting with someone who's had the same experience is really integral to being able to move forward and to find wellness and well-being which is what the women's wellness programs are about as well so it's it it really just again reinforces that importance of the understanding that comes from someone who's been there and done that and one of the things i usually say to people too is that when people connect with others who have got this understanding, it takes away some of the frustrations they might have from other people outside of this experience who 
try as hard as they might, they still don't understand totally what it's about. And so they find themselves putting their foot in it and saying the wrong thing at the wrong time. And then everyone gets frustrated. So it gives people a balance because they can just still have a normal life and talk to their friends and family about normal everyday things and not have their whole lives focusing around their cancer experience. So in the programs, I suppose that's what I'm doing. And even with the research initiatives that I'm involved with and the Women's Wellness Program, it's really just about that reminder that there's another way of looking at things because not everyone can focus on everything. And I think we all know about being frightened and scared and not understanding what's happening, regardless of whether you've had the experience or not. But sometimes when people are focusing on one area, they might just miss some of the little bits that you think that's, well, that's not going to be so important, but to somebody else they might be. So it's, I, I think it's just about bringing those little, little bits of information into what we do. Another question that um, the listeners might have is, you know, you were a younger woman when you, when you were diagnosed. Where did you reach out to to get support? Because there weren't programs like this around at the time. So true. And I'm so pleased to see where research has brought us today because there's so many different avenues for people to seek information. So for me, I've, that's really what's put me on this pathway to be where I am now. It made me become passionate about issues for younger women because what happened to me, there wasn't many places to go to. And so I started asking the questions all the time and that really, I guess, put me in places where I could be talking with researchers and encouraging. That's how some of the research into younger women's programs became, not from me totally, but I know I was part of a group of women here in Queensland who at that time were raising those issues around younger women. And really that's how I became, that's how I came in contact with Janine and we got to know each other and how I came to be working here at Choices because Janine back then realised how important it was to have that younger women talking to another younger woman and having those similar experiences. So way back then, that's what I used to do. And even now when I'm talking to younger women, I know I'm probably old enough to be their mother now, but sometimes it's like it was yesterday for me. And I think that's one of the things when you're diagnosed with cancer, it doesn't go away, it just goes to the back of your head. And there are certain things that raise it every now and then that just remind you that it's it's not ever going away. But what I do is learn how to manage it differently. And so they're the sorts of things that I've learned from not having support to being able to now help people find their way. And that's what we try to do through our programs here as well. Yeah. And I think this leads us really well into the next question, which is, you know, why is it so important to involve consumers in research? Well, it's all of those things I've just said. I I think because we have that passion about why that motivation to make a difference, because we could see some of the things that didn't happen for us at the time and where it could go. And like I said earlier, sometimes when researchers looking at a study, they're focused on so many things. You know, there's, as you know, there's a lot to... Yes, I do. (laughs) There's a lot of things go on in research that 
I'm still amazed at when I see some of the things that Janine's doing with our younger women's program at the moment that I thought I knew, but I didn't. So, you know, there's such a lot that goes on behind the scenes. And so for, for someone like me to be engaged with a program, we can just bring in some of those practicalities and remind, not that you don't know about them, but you think, oh, that's right, forgot about that because I've been concentrating on this part of it. So I think what we can always do is bring that perspective in. And also it helps to connect with community. So not just in a small sense, but help with developing the communication around how you talk to the wider community, getting them to understand what the research is, what's being done. And that then helps with funding and grant applications. And one of the things that I have a lot to do with around research is just working on that lay summary because that's what researchers need now for their grant applications and that's a really great place that someone with that lived experience can have that input and and that's why Janine and I are running these training programs for people to know how to do those things so a lot of times people think no I wouldn't be able to be involved in that way but there's so many different aspects as you know from focus groups way through to being engaged in a lot more of the intricacies around the work and it's a wonderful experience for me somebody who never ever in a million years thought I would be engaged in this way and so it's made my cancer experience a a worthwhile experience because I can feel that some of those things I've had the opportunity to be engaged with are helping to make a difference and supporting the people who do all the hard work to to make that happen and I guess to then go from research into clinical practice. Yeah, no, thank you. And the legacy that both yourself as a consumer and Janine as a clinician and also now a researcher have brought to these programs is just amazing. And to be honest, um, as the researcher, it's just been a tripartite group that uh, where we've been able to look at from the consumer's perspective, look at from the clinician's perspective, and then also from the researchers. And we just couldn't have done it without you, Leonie. So we're so very fortunate um, that you've left that legacy, I think, and Janine as well. Well, I'm going to just say thank you so much, Janine and Leonie, for joining me on the podcast today. I think so many of our listeners will appreciate your insights and knowledge around a topic that's really often so hard to talk about. If you'd like more information about the Women's Wellness After Cancer programs, you can visit dawncomplete.org.au. You've been listening to Women's Wellness Podcasts from the Women's Wellness Research Collaborative. You can find us at wellnessresearch.org.au.